Earl and Theta Cagle are our newest members. Y'all, would y'all mind standing up? I want everybody to see y'all. <laughs> They're from Alaska. They've come the longest to be a part of our family. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to ask you to turn to the book of James, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 7. As you're looking for that, I want to tell you what we're talking about today, the need for patience. Do you have all the patience you need? I'm preaching to myself today. We're all in the same boat together. Patience is so important that we have that as people, uh, the people of God. Did you hear about the little boy that was standing patiently at the end of the elevator, the escalator? And uh, he was just standing there. The escalator was running. And a lady that was a salesperson in the store was watching him. And he was just standing there watching the uh, escalator uh, work. And she walked over to him a little bit. And she said, son, are you lost? And he said, no, I'm not lost. I'm just standing here waiting on my gum to come back. (laughs) You know, we need to be patient. That's important. Now, if you have the passage in front of you, let's look at it together. James 5, 7 through 11. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient and over it until it receives the early and the late rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble, brethren, against one another, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patient, brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, We call those happy who were steadfast. You have heard that the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Well, this passage uh, helps us. You know, all of us need certain messages, and some of us need certain ones more than others. Well, today I feel like we're really talking to each other. We're talking to every person that's, that's here today. This is so important. The central, <clears throat> the central affirmation of the need for patience is presented all through our text today. Uh, it's stressed uh, by arguments that are drawn from agriculture in verses 7 and 8 and from examples drawn from Jewish tradition in verses 10 and 11. James calls the Christians to be patient. He's calling us. This wasn't just for them. It's also for us this morning. Uh, We're supposed to be patient. You know, everything doesn't always work out for us immediately. We want it to. If we want something to happen, guess what? We want it to happen today, uh, and at least by tomorrow. 
Well, the Lord doesn't think that way. He does not think that way. That's all there is to it. Everything doesn't jump when we want it to jump. Once on a flight from Lisbon to London, there were a hundred passengers on board. It was a routine flight. Everything had gone well. All of a sudden, an announcement came over the loudspeaker that said, this is an emergency. We're going to be making a water landing. Stand by for further instructions. Well, all the stewardesses, of course, got up and they started moving around and telling everybody what to do, you know, since we were making a water landing. And the passengers started talking to each other. They didn't know what to think. They were scared. Some of them started crying. Some of them started praying. You know, everybody was upset. All of a sudden, a flight attendant ran through the plane, uh, shouting out to everybody, I pushed the wrong button. I played the wrong tape. I should have played the one that said drinks will be served shortly. She said, I have 12 tapes, and I played the wrong one. You know, in our lives, sometimes people around us play the wrong tape, don't they? They play the wrong tape. And we get real upset. They say the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. And we really get out of sorts about it. We get all worried and and. You know, we just don't know how to respond. Uh, We can, if we want to, right there, have a heart attack and die. We can, if we want to, just slap them right in the face. You know, or we could, if we wanted to, we could just cuss as loud as we could. You know, we have a lot of different uh, options that we could use. Or, or we could have patience. We could pray and seek God's face. Now, out of all those options, which one do you think would work out the best? You know, there's one there for us that we obviously ought to choose. The term translated patience means a certain thing. It means to submit without complaining or grumbling. If you're going to To be patient, you've got to respond to life in a certain way, with a certain demeanor, with a certain attitude. And this is what James is trying to get across in our whole text this morning. It's almost identical with the term translated steadfast in verse 11, uh, which also stresses the need for enduring or persisting Uh, in a difficult time in our life. The distinction between the terms is that patience is more demanding than being steadfast. And you say, why is that? It is endurance without complaining. Without complaining. Patience need last only until the coming of the Lord. And then we won't need patience anymore. When he comes and takes us to be with him, we, the need for patience is gone. 
we won't have to pray about that anymore at all because that event will shatter the bonds of hardship that are around us. Now, if we started up here with Jim and went through the whole congregation, we ask everybody, what is it that's bothering you today? We could hear all kinds of things. You just wouldn't believe how many different things uh, we could hear. Well, when Jesus uh, comes, it shatters the bonds of hardship. And we won't have any of those things anymore. Those things are all gone. And not only will the bonds of hardship be broken and cast away forever, but also we will receive the great gift of the presence of the Lord right before us, right before our eyes, right before our family, right before those of our loved ones that have gone on before as they gather together with us. We think about that and we think how wonderful it is. Well, until that time, we want to be patient. You know, I, I hear on the radio and see on TV every once in a while I'm flipping around the channels and somebody will say something like this. I know that the Lord is going to return this year. This year. He's coming back. And then they give four or five things that they think are valid reasons as to why he's coming this year. They don't know. They have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, I know they, they think they do, and you might think they do, but they don't. Uh, I don't care who they are, what their name is. They don't know. None of us know. Jesus doesn't know. Only God the Father knows when Jesus is going to return. Well, that great reward will be there. And then it will be wonderful. And then we won't need patience any longer. But until then, until then, we need every day in our Christian life to work on this and to try and become day by day, week by week, month by month, more patient in how we deal with those that are around us, how we deal with the children, how we deal with the elderly, how we deal with those in business, our neighbors, our working associates, everybody, how we deal with them, ought to be patiently. Evidently, the Christians James is addressing in our text today felt like the time for the return of Jesus was overdue. And they were getting a little snippy about it. You know, they were saying, uh, why hadn't he come? Where is he? What's going on here? My guess is some of you have said that. My guess is that all of us at one time or another said, you know, I wished he had come before that happened in my life. I wish he had come before this other thing happened in my life and just called me home to be with him. That would have been wonderful. Well, James seeks to reassure them that the apparent delay that they're having to face should be met with patience using an analogy from the Palestinian agricultural life. That's what he does first. The point of the illustration is that the climate condition of that day referred to the expression of the early rain and the late rain. Those things were well, well known in that day among those people. 
The two, the two periods of reign were well known. The Jewish writings comment the concern about these reigns in Palestine. If they didn't come exactly when they were supposed to come, the people would all start praying. Because all of the money that they made for the year depended on those rains coming at exactly the right time so that the crops could grow and do well and that they would have a good year. So this was critically, critically important. There wasn't anybody working at a factory back then. There wasn't anybody working in one of those high-rises in New York City. There wasn't any of that going on. There was farming going on. And these early and late rains were critically, critically important. The early rain was in October and November. It was the occasion for sowing the grain. And there needed to be a lot of water in the ground. They just had to have that for things to work out right. The late rain was April and May. It stimulated the growth for the maturing of the crop. It had to come right then. If it didn't come, then they had lost everything. Everything. Nothing would come up. The Palestinian farmer depended on those two rains, and he could not harvest his crop until the late rain came. Now, there was no way, of course, that they could make it happen. There's no way that we can make Jesus come back sooner. We're not calling that shot. We're not in charge of that. Uh, we're not the ones that can write on the blackboard, this is the date, 1030, you know, this day. That, that isn't our prerogative. We don't have that right. It's not up to us. James is arguing that if a farmer can wait for the grain with patience, if he can wait for that, then they should be able to endure until the Lord returns. That rain was all important, and they, they waited, of course. They knew that's what they had to do. And James saying, well, you know, we need to wait on the return of the Lord, and we want to wait in the right attitude. We want to wait with the right spirit. We want to wait looking up, honoring and praying to God Almighty. James reassures the Christians that the coming of the Lord is at hand. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean today? Does that mean tomorrow? No. That's not what that means. A lot of people, I think, believe that's what it means. That isn't what it means. The term coming, parousia, was used in the first century to the, for the arrival of kings from other countries. When they would come, it was a big special event. Or when a highly esteemed person came from some other place, uh, they would have a big celebration and they'd have the visitors walk down the main street of the town and everybody would wave and bow and all that. It was very, very important. Well, it was used by Christians in that day to re refer specifically to the return of Jesus in glory. That's what they used it for. Perusia to them was the coming of Almighty God, was the coming of Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And they, of course, 
wanted that to happen. The affirmation that the coming is at hand means that it is very near. Now, once again, does very near mean tomorrow? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. What does it mean? It means in God's timing. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but it would be good if, if you do to get your pen out and write down right by this text, 2 Peter 3 8. 2 Peter 3 8. It says that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. Now that's the timetable our Lord is working on. One day is as a thousand years. You know, we think, and now everything's got to happen right away. You know, if we say the time is at hand, it's today. If we say the time is to near, it's today. Well, that's not how God thinks. With God, a day is as a thousand years. So none of us, obviously, know uh, when the Lord is going to return. In light of this, the sure reality that Jesus is to return, the Christians should renew their courage and their confidence. Courage and confidence. Now that's what we ought to have. You say, well, I'm getting older, I'm ill, I don't have a lot of great days left. I want the Lord to come right now. I'm ready to go. I love Jesus. I've given my heart to him. I've been an active member of the church for a long time. I want him to come today or tomorrow. Well, the scripture says Christians should renew their courage and confidence. Now, we have got to trust the Lord that he's going to come at the right time. He came the first time at the right time. His prophets came at the right time. The leaders of the early church came at the right time. And Jesus is going to return at the right time. And we've got to have confidence in that. With verse 9, James takes a slightly different approach to this theme. The discouragement of the Christians must not be allowed to express itself in grumbling and complaining. Now, the Lord doesn't want us to be doing that. There are some people that grumble and complain about everything every day. Do you know any people that are just real, real negative? I mean, nothing makes them happen. I pastored a church nearby here for 21 years. I had a man that sat on the third row right over here. Always sat in the same seat. He never missed. He was there every, every Sunday. I never saw him smile one time. You know, all my jokes aren't great, but every once in a while, there's a good one. He never smiled one time in 21 years, ever. I mean, not even a, a little bit. I asked him about it one day, and he, he just kind of went, mm. Walked off. You know, we, we've got to wait 
for the Lord's coming with a certain attitude. It is so important. We need to be building up the brethren. We need to be praying for those that need our prayer. We need to be visiting people like the Brindles. We need to be visiting people that are going through a hard time, that are sick, that are laid aside. We need to be lifting up those folks daily in their prayers. That's very important. Well, uh, the term grumble means literally to groan. You know, to be gripey, to be groaning, to be complaining, to be grumbling, all of those things. In association with against one another, you see that in the verse. It refers to complaining which blames other people for all of our distresses. You know, while we're waiting on the second coming, you say, well, this isn't right, and it's Susie or Sally or Sandra's fault. It's their fault. That's why things aren't right. It's, it's, they, they did it. Or it's Sam or Harry or Bob or Jim. It's their fault. They're the ones that are causing all of this bond of hardship around my life. Well, the decisions about who is really at fault ultimately lie with the judge. Now, that's a capital J, with the judge. That's talking about Almighty God. That's talking about Jesus the Son. It's not talking about us. Now, if we, in this interim period, between this very moment and the second coming of our Lord, if we're griping and moaning and fussing and just carrying on, complaining about everything, that is the wrong attitude. And we, we need to have that attitude confronted in our lives. And the Spirit of God wants to do that. We need to be loving, happy people. I mean, we have the greatest gift that a person can have. The Lord Jesus is in our heart. We have a wonderful church. We have the Word of God. We have, you know, all these things. The Holy Spirit leads us. We have been blessed in so many ways. We have food on the table, a car in the garage. Everything is wonderful, just wonderful. And we need to have that kind of an attitude. Rather than blaming somebody else for what's wrong in our life. The oppression and difficulties of the Christian may inspire grumbling. You know, if you're having a hard time, you think, gosh, this is terrible, Lord. When are you going to fix this? And we kind of have an attitude about saying that. But these realities will not excuse them for it. Because everyone with that kind of an attitude, the Scripture says, is going to be judged. We're going to be judged for that. The exhortation to be patient in verses 7 and 8 is now reinforced by reminding the Christians that they were not in a unique situation because they suffered. Everybody here today has suffered. There have been times of suffering in every one of our lives. Now there are some little kids over here, so they haven't had much suffering. But all of us that are grown, we've, we've had some suffering. Righteousness 
did not in the past exempt people from life's difficulties. And guess what? It doesn't today. It doesn't exempt us today, even if we are righteous people. They should remember the prophets who were so privileged that they spoke in the name of the Lord. I mean, they were blessed beyond belief. Well, guess what? They had difficulties. They had problems. They had pains. And their attitude was, I'm going to get up today and speak for the Lord. That's what they wanted to do. James points the suffering and discouraged Christians to some models of conduct which they are to take as an example for their lives of suffering and patience. The Christians need to be reminded that a mark of righteousness was the displaying of patience in suffering. That's what we ought to have. Patience in suffering. There was a lady from Wyoming. Her mother became paralyzed and she was left almost without the ability to speak. She also could understand what you were saying. That was good. The lady moved her mother in with her. The husband didn't like that, and he moved out. The lady had two daughters, one three and one twelve. She made about $10,000 a year in her job. Now she had to support two daughters, her mother and herself, on that salary alone. As the months went by, the lady heard how her ex-husband was fathering children with various people. The three-year-old pushed the paralyzed grandmother down a ramp in her wheelchair. She was bruised and cut a lot. On one day, the lady found that her garage had been burglarized. She went in to find that the furnace blower had quit working. And she went out to the car to go to the store, and the car wouldn't start. And all of that was just happening about the same time. And she went in and got down on the floor and started crying. Just started crying. All these things happening about the same time. She just cried. And she cried and she cried and she cried. For a long time she cried. And then she thought, you know, one other time in my life I've done this. And what got me out of it was I went and got my Bible and I started reading it. And it helped me. So she went and got her Bible. She had some verses marked and some chapters highlighted. And she began to read those. And as she did that, uh, she, she not only was not at the end of her patience, as she had been 30 minutes before, but she was in right relationship to the Lord. Her needs were met. She gained strength. She raised her face unto the Father, and she said, Lord, thank you that my mother is here. Thank you for my two girls. Thank you that they're doing well. Thank you that we're all in good health. And Lord, thank you that you're leading us today. Well, you know, that's what we've got to do. We've got to face one problem at a time and do the best we can as we deal with it. The classic example of Job was very popular in the first century. It illustrated God's blessing on the faithful sufferer. Nobody was better at suffering with the right attitude than Job. Job did it right. 
James easily assumed that all of the readers would understand who Job was and what he did and the spiritual victories that he had. In verse 9, James warns against grumbling. But the ultimate issue is suffering. It, It is to determine to endure and not lose your faith. Even if you have 14 terrible things at the same time, don't lose your faith. Job grumbled, but he remained loyal and was an example to all the people of reveling the purpose of the Lord as victory and blessing to the faithful. He reveled in that. It was a wonderful thing. The point James is making clear, if they will remain faithful and not yield to the temptation to abandon God, to abandon their belief in him. If they will have patience and stand strong, then the Lord will reach out to them and break the bonds of hardship. And they will be lifted up. And they will join the Lord in the heavens. Now, today we want to praise God for his kindness and his compassion. We want to praise God for loving us and forgiving us of the sin of our life. Today, if you're in the house and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, today, I hope, would be the day that you do that. You know, you, you don't want to put God on a timetable. God really kind of puts us on a timetable. We just live so long, and then it's over. So today, if you've never trusted, believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, make that decision today, today. If some of you are here, you need a church home, a place to lift up the Lord Jesus, a place to worship, a place to build a a number of close friends, this would be the place. We want you to come and join with us and stand with us, minister with us as we try and do the work that the Lord has given to us. I'm going to stand down here at the front, and as the Lord leads, I pray that you'd step out in faith and take a strong stand for him today. Let's stand together as we sing.